quietly and reverently, and not that there's anything wrong with that either, but um, I love that it was no way it was disrespectful or causing a ruckus, you know, but we're all just talking, continuing what happened just before that, and that that's just beautiful to me. Like, in, the other week we had a, a child that was kind of like singing really loudly during the worship, and I was like, that's just really beautiful, right? And like, we get to because it, it's a sign of like community, of family, that the conversations don't end. And I, I'm really I'm really grateful for that. And I think I have this tendency, Dottie, she shared just a, a moment ago, um, she said, I had never heard you say this before, but she said, um, God is very good at filling in where we fall very short. And um, my tendency in life is to get things done. Like, I come in and there's a project to do, and I don't want to stand around and talk, right? I just want to get to it and knock it out and then get going. Like, I, that's just me. And, but that is not, that is important to get it done, but it's just as important. Some of you just like to stand around and talk, right? Like, and that, that's really important too. Like, we have this relational need as a people. And, and so, I sometimes will just gloss over that, but God has created us in such a way, I think, that we we kind of, he, he blesses us where he fills in where we fall very short. And one of the ways he does that is with the church. Where, I'm sh- where I fall short, you kind of pick up. And where you fall short, I can pick up. And I am quite thankful for that. Like the other few weeks ago, I, I preached at the end of Ruth this last sermon, and um and it was like an overview of the book and tying it into Christ. And Mickey kind of put the, he, he did, not kind of, he put the outline together for that sermon. And I was just so thankful for that. Because like he's really good at it and he's passionate about that. And it was like the body working together to do something greater than it could, than it could do just by its individual parts working on their own. And I think um, that, that's why we call like community groups, community groups, and not just small groups or something else or groups. Like we want to build like that sense of community where you know that you don't have to be everything, like and you don't have to provide everything, but that we can rely on each other and that together we're better than we are individually. And and we want that to like infiltrate every nook and cranny of our body of our church, and even on Sunday mornings, like. Um, we don't want this just to be a time where you're staring at the back of each other's heads for an hour and a half. Like, that's not the point. Like, we we want this to be more full-bodied. Like, we want it. We want to like be living here what we do out there. And like, part of that is fellowship. Part of it's wor- singing. Part of it's studying. Like, we're gonna do all those. But we want there to be real community among our our people. And in part, and I'm gonna. This isn't even the sermon, so I'm gonna stop after this. But like, in part. And a huge part we want that because Jesus said that the world is going to basically know him by the way we love each other. And um, it just, it can't be, and this is not like, this is not a condemnation of any of you. This is like something like Scott and I have been talking about, like that we want like for our own lives first and then for our church as well. It can't be enough to just come here on Sunday morning. Like, we, um, if, if that's all it is, we are, we are, we are lacking, spiritually lacking. And our spirituality needs to take up the whole of our lives and our community. The early church met together, the Bible tells us, like, every day they were together. And, like, we're trying to figure out, I'm feeling guilty for asking 
for one kind of night, like with a community group, right? They were like every single day meeting together. And I, the challenge is, in our 21st century American lives, that, that necessitates a reprioritization of our time, which is really hard. That's hard for like Scott and I. Like we're trying to think like, well, how do we do that? Like, right? But like if we make, we, we, we find the money and the time for the things that are really important to us. We're not asking for more money. So don't worry about that. Um, but like, like my relationship with Jesus needs to be most important in my life. And that relationship necessitates relationship with you. And a more full-bodied relationship than just seeing you once a week. So um, we we're trying to figure that out. We don't have all the we don't have it all figured out. By the way, Scott and I we're we're we're, we're learning a lot as we go. But um, we want to try to step it up ourselves um, so that we can set an example for you of of what that might be. Um, we don't want to ask you to do something that we aren't willing to do. So um, so anyway. Um, I'm not preaching up there anymore. Not because I know some of you like it because you can see me better, but I'm gonna try to like facilitate you seeing me better by moving closer to you. Like so, um, uh, so and I may even like walk around a little bit more, um, just because I don't I won't, I don't want to feel disconnected from you, and I don't want you to feel disconnected from me. And I, I think what we gain is is far more than what we lose from that happening. So I'm going to be a little bit closer. You may come in one week, and this is really going to mess with you. The chairs may be moved, like in a different... I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And so that's going to be really... That could be really troublesome, but be prepared. It's on the horizon. So, Because um, I don't... Like we talk about looking at the back of each other. I want you to see each other's faces. Like when you're singing, I want you to see each other. Like... And, you know, we close our eyes a lot in 21st century America, worship when we worship, or when we sing, and we don't have to do that. Like, we can look around and see each other and, and be connected to each other while we're doing that. I think that brings God a lot of glory. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to try some things to connect us a little bit more physically, spiritually, um, and even programmatically, because um, we just don't ever want to settle for what we have or had, but we want to continue to be pushing in more. So... Um, Anyway, uh, okay. Now let's get to the sermon. Uh, so um, Scott, Scott, and I um, have both been um, reading through the Book of Acts in our devotions, and um, we both kind of come to to the close on that. But um, it's been awesome. Like we we've just been like learning new things and growing in our faith, and it's been just a, a joy to see the early church operating the way it operated, and just kind of say, okay, well, what does that mean for our lives and even for the life of our of our local congregation? Um, and so, uh, you know, just been blessed. God's opened our eyes to the simplicity of the early church, the transparency of it, the devotion of it, the community that they had, the faith that they displayed and lived by, and, and, and the actions that they took. I mean, it, it was just, it was amazing. And um, I, I think one of, probably for me, one of the most impactful elements of the book of Acts has been the depth that, of impact that Christ made on the lives of the believers. Um, and, and the evidence of that impact in the way that they lived their lives, right? So, um, the miracles 
that the early church, that God did through the early church were amazing. I mean, he manifested his power and revealed himself in, in, in so many different ways. I mean, people spoke in different languages or tongues, right? Um, there were healings. There was like this teleportation of Philip. Like, he was in one place and then God just totally, miraculously made him disappear in that place and reappear in a totally different place. Like, wrap your minds around that. Like, that, like that is like craziness, craziness. And, and, and there, there was like all this other stuff, like prison doors. Like, you know, believers were locked in prison and the doors just miraculously opened. Nobody opened them. God just opened them and people were able to walk out of prison. People were brought back to life from death. Like there was this young man that was in a window when Paul was preaching. He fell out of it and died, and Paul went down and brought him back to life. Like it, these miracles were were incredible, and none of the believers could have performed any of those miracles without God's, you know, assistance. Without Him doing it, it wasn't them doing it; it was Him doing it through them. But as I read through, I thought to myself, even if we don't consider any of the miraculous events in the life of the early church. When, ex- when examining kind of the extreme changes that the gospel brought to the believers, to their lifestyle and their actions, we would still see undeniable change that couldn't be attributed to anything other than Jesus working in their lives. Even if we didn't consider the miracles, we just looked at all the non-miraculous change that happened in their life, like we would see the hand of God in their lives. That's how significant of a change occurs when Christ changes somebody's life, when he brings them from a sinner from death to life. Paul, Paul speaks of this change in Acts 26. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, and um, in, a- in Acts 26, um, Paul's been in prison for some time. Um, he originally got, was thrown into prison because he caused a ruckus in Jerusalem. And there's this uproar. The Romans arrested him and put him in prison. He, he was in prison for a while. And then one thing led to another. He stayed in prison. And then he, he appealed to Caesar because something happened, which basically was every Roman citizen's right. Like if they felt like they were just being mistreated or not getting justice or whatever, they could appeal to Caesar, be taken to Rome, and have their case heard in Rome itself. And so, so he did that. And, and he's in prison. There's been a change of power in Acts 26 in, in the, of Roman power in the area. There were new leaders in place. And um, he, he, he's now before this Roman official Festus. And, um, and Festus has some guests, uh, Agrippa and Bernice. Um, we're not even going to get into all who they were and what they did, but they were all Roman officials. And Agrippa, uh, uh, Agrippa and Bernice were, were guests of Festus. And Festus is basically like, hey, can you listen to this guy? Because I don't know what to do with him. I have to send him to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar. But I don't know what to tell those in Rome about why I'm sending him there. Because like, there's no like, like illegal action in, in the eyes of our law that he's done that, that would really require him to be go there. So I don't know what to say. So can you guys listen to what he has to say and help me to figure this out? And so Paul is asked to come before them and give his reasoning for why he's been arrested and he's appealed to Rome. And in his discourse, he shares not only about his arrest, but also his conversion, about how Jesus has come to him and and, and how Christ has impacted his life. And then he went on to explain how after Christ impacted his life, he went out to share the gospel, to share about Christ, and and how he shared about him with everybody. 
Um, and in true Pauline fashion, then he goes on to boldly appear uh, or appeal to these, these powerful Roman leaders to trust Christ themselves. He's just like out front with it, which is awesome. But what I specifically want to focus on this morning in Acts 26 were his comments made in verses 19 and 20. And these have hit me especially hard over the past couple of weeks. And as I thought about it, I'm pretty sure they're hitting me hard, not just because of, uh, they were for me personally, but maybe for us as a church. And um, so I'm going to share them this morning, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit and maybe about how they should affect our lives. And so this is what Paul says in, in chapter 26 of Acts, verses 19 and 20. He says this, he said, Paul is speaking here. He says, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, speaking of uh, Christ coming and saving him on the road to Damascus. And he said, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God. And I, I think as we look at this, like we're thinking, yeah, that's just, that's what we do now in 21st century America. We tell people, hey, this is what Christ has done for me. And um, he has saved me. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And, and we, we, even if we don't do it, I, I, I sense that a lot of it, including me, we don't do it enough, right? But when we, when we do it or, or when we think about doing it, this is what we think of, of sharing the gospel, that we just share that, and, about how God has just changed our hearts, Right? But then he goes on and he says this, and he says in this last section, he says, and demonstrate the repentance by their deeds. And that's what has really hit me over the past two weeks. I think we oftentimes preach Jesus-saving souls. But unfortunately, too often, we stop there and don't continue the message that he doesn't just save our soul, but he changes our life. We are not who we used to be, not just spiritually, but, I'm going to use this phrase earlier, but in every nook and cranny of our personal lives, we are changed and different. That means we live differently, we act differently, we treat others differently, we do and we do something with what we now believe in our heart. Uh, as a kid, I loved Halloween. I don't know if you guys did it. I know, like, that's probably... <laughs> so, some of you have very strong opinions about Halloween. That's okay. That's okay. As a kid, I liked it. Right or wrong, I liked it. I loved it. Uh, you know, and my kids really enjoy it. Like, we... And I, I kind of wish they didn't enjoy it so much because the, all the stuff that surrounds it. But they don't... We don't get into any, like, the spiritual... We just get in... Like, they just like dressing up. And they like getting candy. It's like, that's, that's it. That's it for them. There's nothing else attached to it. It's dressing up and getting candy. And they love getting candy. Um, and they like to eat it, but we don't even, we usually, like the next year when Halloween rolls around, we go into our cabinet where we put all the Halloween candy, and we pull out almost a full bag that they collected the year before, throw it out, and fill it up with the New Year's. They don't even eat a whole lot of it. They just like getting it. So, but anyway, Halloween we dress up, right? We wear costumes, we put on masks, we pretend to be something that we're not. It's kind of fun. But the truth of the matter is, like with Halloween, you can only act like another, like a character or like someone else for so long before somebody knows who you are. You can't, you can't like become that character forever. 
Like that would just be weird, right? You roll into work the next day and you're still wearing your costume. Like people are gonna like, that's just, or go to school with your, uh, school kids like might kind of think that's cool. But like as an adult, like it would just be weird to like roll into work with your costume on. And, and the, the thing, the reason is like you're acting like something, you're not really becoming it. So everybody expects you to go back or to stay who, who you were before you put on that costume. But it's very different becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian, so often I think we treat it like putting on a costume. But it's not at all like putting on a costume. Like, becoming a Christian actually changes you so that you can't take the new person off. It's, it's like going to the very core of, of who you are. You are changed in such a way that the character becomes the reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about that, right? We say, we, I quote this a lot, but he said, therefore, in verse 7, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're not just like acting like something else. You are something else. And, and when, when we've truly changed, Paul says in Acts 19 to 20, then we begin to act and do things in line with who we've become. Our faith in Christ necessitates action. And, and here's the thing. We just don't act differently or better. Like, we don't just do good things now that we're a Christian. We, um, it, it, like, we don't do them in order to make God happy. Like, that's the kind of stuff we do before Christian. Like, I'll do this and that. I'll treat that person nice. I'll say a nice thing. I'll start thinking better thoughts because that'll make God happy. That's not how it works when you become a Christian. You start doing those things because you are different. Like, you are now dwelled with the Holy Spirit. And so you do things because it comes out of who you now are. It's not something you add on. It's motivated by this change that has occurred. And that subtle difference makes all the difference in the world. That, that is the truth that Paul testifies to in Acts 26. In Acts 26, he, he, he shares his testimony at the very earlier in the chapter. And he says these words, this is a selection, so you can just listen and rather than follow along, but he says, starting in verse 4, the Jewish people all knew the way I lived ever since I was a child. He's telling this to these Roman leaders, right, who don't believe in God, and, or his God. They don't believe that Jesus has come back from the dead. And he says, the Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life, in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. So you can go find people who knew me then, and they'll tell you. He, and he goes on in verse 9, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. And that, uh, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And another part of Scripture in Philippians 3, Paul elaborates on his action-based qualifications for goodness. He says, look, I, 
I, I, if anybody was good, I, I was good. And, and, and he says this in Philippians 3. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh and in what they do, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless, Paul said. Paul's basically saying, I did everything that you could do to be good without being changed. He's saying, I, I thought it was, he's saying, I thought it was all about acting. About making things happen on my own. That my actions somehow brought God joy and me into right relationship with him, but I was wrong. And then Paul goes on to share with Festus and Agrippa and Bernice his salvation experience, how God saved him on the road to Damascus. And and after God saved him, Paul shares this account he had with Christ. Just after he was blinded on this road to Damascus, where he encountered Jesus, Jesus says this to me, or he says this to Jesus. He says, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? Jesus responded, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice Jesus says, I have appeared to you to do what? To appoint you as a servant. And he said, I am sending you. What happens is Christ saved Paul. He rescued him from his sin. He, and, and, and just the same for us, he saves us through grace. It's not about doing enough things to please God, but it doesn't stop with just his grace. He sent Paul as a servant. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, he says in verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul knows that we are saved by grace, and that's good. That's all what God does for us. We're not saved by doing good things. However, Jesus, just after saving Paul, quickly instructed him that he would no longer be in charge of his life, but Christ would direct him and empower his actions and give him work to do. And even in Ephesians chapter 2, just after those verses that talk about being saved by grace and not by works, Paul goes on to say in verse 10 that God created good works in advance for us to do. We're not saved by works but a change that grace makes in our life necessitates works. We don't do them to get saved, but once we're saved, we can't help but do them. And that brings us to our text from this morning in Acts 26, 19 and 20. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision that I received. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God. Grace and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Works. We don't get saved by our works, but once we are brought from death to life by faith in Jesus, we can't help but work. 
And Paul experienced this personally, and now he's instructing others to do the same. There has to be action, like with our faith. And, and this isn't just isolated to Paul, right? Like Peter experienced the same thing. I don't know if you remember. But like Peter was the disciple who denied Jesus three times. Remember that story? Like by the time the rooster crows in the morning, you'll have denied me three times. And he goes on and does it. And after that, Jesus dies. And then Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus comes and appears to Peter and a few others and, um, on a lake. And, and they're having, having breakfast, actually, in John 21. And while Jesus is having breakfast with Peter, um, he, he turns to him and he says, Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter responds, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, well, Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And the third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he had asked the third time and it reminded Peter of his denial of Jesus. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And every time he said, yes. And each time Jesus responded by stating something that Peter should do. His love, if he, what, what I'm getting at, is if Peter's love was sincere and we know that it was, Jesus is saying, then it's going to compel you to do something. It's going to compel you to take care of my sheep, of my lambs. True love for Christ that was motivated by God changing our hearts by faith in Christ, by Christ saving us, is evidenced in faith compelling us to action. So we don't do things because we want to be saved, we do things for Christ because we have been saved. And the thing is, like we can't, we can't help but do things. Like it, because of the way God's made us, like we have to intentionally quench the desire to do things in order to not do them. And sometimes I think that happens because we let sin have too big of a place in our lives. Sin of just being comfortable. Sin of wanting more money. Sin of wanting more time. Sin of just being lazy. Right? The sin of just, I'm tired. You know, We make hundreds and thousands of excuses. Not just you, this is me as well come up with all sorts of excuses for why we shouldn't do, but at the end of the day, we know that we should. Not, not just to please God, but because we can't really help it, because we are a new creation. Because we've been saved by grace, but that, that salvation necessitates action. Like it, We're compelled to act. But we just push it down, push it down, and we, and, and we make each other feel better about it. 
How many times have I done that for you or you've done that for me? It's okay. I totally understand. You're so busy. It's okay. Like, man, I, I only did my, I only spent time with the Lord five days or four days or three days this week and not seven. Well, you've just been so busy. Like, it's totally understand, like, totally understandable. We help each other to sin. And um, this is kind of like, I'm just kind of like going out here like personally right now. Like, because now I'm going to have people holding me accountable. But um, I'm kind of at a place in my life where that's just not enough anymore. And um, I, I, um, there's a story Francis Chan tells. He's a pastor in California. Um, but this um, gang member was invited to their church and started coming to their church. And he became a Christian. And um, he um, was with them for a while. And then all of a sudden, he just wasn't coming anymore. wasn't attending anything that they had going on. And one, finally, one of um, Francis Chan's friends saw this former gang member somewhere and said, hey, we've really missed you. What's going on? And the guy said, well, you know, when I um, when I joined the gang, I got jumped into the gang. Basically, like they they beat you into the gang. And he said, "But once you're in, you're in, and like they become your family. And like anything happens, they have your back. They are always there. It's like a literal family. Like they are they were closer to me than like biological family." And he said, "And I thought like when I became a Christian, that same thing was going to happen for me with the church, like." I was going to come into the church and they were going to have my back no matter what. And they, they were going to be closer to me than my, than my biological family. And like it was just going to be amazing. And even to a greater degree because it's the church. And he said, but it just wasn't like that. And um, I'm, I, I, uh, I kind of think that maybe if somebody became a Christian because I shared the faith, faith with them and they were in the same situation and they were a part of my life I'm not even pointing fingers here at Living Legacy, but if they were just part of my life, they would have said, John, I thought it would have been different with you. I thought you, I thought you would have been a different role in my life than what, what it really is. I, I thought you would have been more like the gang than like just some random stranger or some acquaintance that I meet on the street. I'm afraid that my commitment to that person wouldn't be up here. It would be more down here. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that Sometimes that's how it goes for me with, with living legacy even, right? And for all of us, like, you know, our commitment should be here, but it's really kind of down here. And when it's down here, we, we give all, each other all sorts of outs. And I think we need, need to be done with giving each other outs. I think that um, we need to hold the standard up here and understand, you know what? Understand that there is grace. Like, we, we the standard's up here and you're down and you're, like, you're like consistent, like, or for at least a period of time, like you're shooting down here. It's not that like we're gonna like, like excommunicate you or want nothing to do with you, but like we're gonna call each other to here. We're not gonna just let each other settle for here. But even if we could just keep for whatever reason striking here, and then maybe we just get to like here, and then like here, like. We're not going to brace each other. We're going to cheer each other on for the small wins, and we're going to hold each other accountable if we keep falling back. But in everything, we are going to desperately love each other. Desperately love each other. But um, 
I, I think both, I think Scott, I know Scott and I are on the same page of this, but we want more for our lives and we want more for the life of our church. And um, we really hope that maybe you can be a part of one of our community groups because that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about. It's like, what's really important and how do we actually make it important in our lives and stop making excuses? And, um, and we're really excited about that. One, just because we want to grow closer, grow closer to God, but two, like a really close second, we're really excited because we just really genuinely want to grow closer to y'all. We want to know you better. We want to know what makes you tick. We want to know what really makes you sad. Not so that we can like throw salt in your wound or press you where it hurts, but so that we can love you through the pain. Um, and we want you to know us in that way. Um, but we realize that's going to take a little bit more than just this. This, this is important. Don't get me wrong. This, what we do here, is really important. But there's more to it. And so, um, and on top of that, we want to challenge each other to do something with our faith. Here's a word that the church just is like terribly afraid of. Accountability. Right? So like accountability is like you saying you want to do something and then somebody following up with you to see if you've actually done it. And we like to say we're going to do things, but we don't ever like people. I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe you do, and like you're the weird kind of person that likes that, but like I don't really enjoy that so much. But it's like super important for my walk with Christ. And so one thing we're going to do in our groups, this is a little spoiler, and this may like scare some of you off. <laughs> we're going to do a little accountability. But we're not going to like get into your deepest, darkest secrets right away. Don't worry about that. Like, like, or like the worst thing that you've ever done and hold you... Like, what we're going to say is, like, I really wanted to share my faith. Or I just really wanted to share that I even, like, have faith with this person at work. And it's been, like, three months that I wanted to do that, and I haven't done it. And so what we're going to do is share that and say, and set a goal. We're going to say, this week, I'm just going to do it. And it might be really awkward, and, it might, and they might be, like, kind of freaked out. But I'm just going to get out there and do it, and I'm going to try it. And then next week, we're going to come back, and we're going to ask each other, how did it go? I was praying for you all week. How did it go with you sharing your faith with that person this week? It's really simple. And then when you say, I chickened out, then we're going to be like, well, you shouldn't have chickened out. We don't want that for you. But you're going to do it this week. Like, we're going to get behind you. We're going to love you through it. And um, we're not going to excuse it, but we're going to love each other through it and keep pushing each other forward. Because our faith, the life change that we experience in Christ, necessitates action. James goes so far as to say this. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Get, don't miss this. And don't take this lightly. He says, Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That was like, Dramatic pause. You see that a person is considered righteous. You you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. If your faith isn't significantly impacting action in your life or, or 
like causing compelling action in your life. Probably one of two things is happening. We are quenching the Spirit in our life. Like we are just refusing to allow the Spirit to change us. And that is not a good place to be. Or the faith that we thought we had might not be faith at all. Neither of those are good places to be. Um, But if we're in either of those places, there's hope. Because Christ loves you regardless of what you do or don't do. And he wants you. He wants everybody. Like, and he has provided a way in Jesus for us to come to him and for his grace to be poured out on us and for us to be saved. And when that happens, then we can start doing those actions. We just naturally start doing those actions. And if we're just pushing them down, like if we have a faith but we're just quenching the spirit, um, there's hope for us as well. You don't have to continue to do that. Like, life in Christ should look weird in some respects to the world. Like, it should, it, 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 even if it doesn't look weird, it should be different. Like, too often we just, like, look like everybody else who's outside of the body of Christ. And that's a problem because, like, we should look very different than them. If not, then what has Christ done? He's not just concerned about your hearts and everybody going to heaven. I mean, he is, but like, he, he wants life change, and that's what he wants to make happen in you. And that means that we're going to look different than we did before because we are a new creation. And so um, that's kind of like what John is getting at, and I'll close with this scripture. But in 1 John 3.18, he says, Dear children, let us love not with words, or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's not enough just to say, I love you. We have to show it. It has to be active. So, um, that, um, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you've been quenching the spirit. I don't know if you're realizing, hey, like, what I said was faith. It's not changed my life at all. And because of that, I'm really questioning if I even have faith. Um, and um, I kind or I, I don't, or maybe you're doing really well and you've just like tripped up a time or two here or there. I, I don't, I don't know where you are on the spectrum, but um, I, I um, would. We talked about accountability a little bit. We've got we're running late, but we're gonna just do this real quickly. Um, I am gonna have Maggie help me here. Can you pass these out, kiddo? Make sure everybody gets one. And um, Maggie, the other Maggie, can you help me? Can you see that everybody gets? We have no shortage of pens at Living Legacy Church, um, so we're gonna make sure if you need a pen, grab a pen to write. And um, we're gonna I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna go into the Lord's Supper, and we're gonna celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Um, through his life, death, you know, and resurrection and ascension. But, um, you know, the scripture is pretty clear that we should go into this soberly. Um, and so what, what we're going to do is, one, we're going to be real kind of pointed with our, with our prep time for, for the Lord's Supper today. And 
I'm going to pray for us, but we're going we're gonna, to like, think through ways that we have failed the Lord in regard to action. Where maybe we've had opportunity where we should have been changed and living differently, but we failed to do so. And we're going we're gonna to confess that to him. That's the first thing we're going to do. And then the second thing I want to do is we talked about like action and accountability. I want you to write down before you leave today. You don't have to do this moment. You don't have to do it before the Lord's Supper. So maybe it's better to do it after you take the Lord's Supper. But I want everybody to write down some action you'd like to take this week for the Lord. Some, some action that is um, motivated by the life change that Christ has made in you through your salvation. And that may be sharing your faith, that may be doing, making a phone call, that may be taking somebody out for a cup of coffee and telling them that you care about them. I don't know what the 